Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, today we have got a special guest with us, um, Richard Wilkinson, who's general counsel for OEA. Uh, Richard, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Um, So we wanted to talk about um, an issue that came up Thursday, a big deal uh, for every public school in our state, Um, a vote taken by the State Board of Ed. Um, Alicia, can you kind of recap for us what happened before we get into the legal side of things with Richard? Yes, so that everybody knows what what the 411 is. Yes. Uh, The State Board of Education met a regular meeting on Thursday. They went into um, executive session to discuss appropriate things that happen in executive session. And they came back and approved a resolution saying that they were settling a years-old lawsuit with the Oklahoma Public Charter School Association. So... um, so the state board's action could really change the public school funding in Oklahoma, um, taking millions of dollars out of local property taxes and sending them to charter schools across the state, including, including virtual charters. Yes. Yeah, including virtual charters. So it is very problematic. So this was something that um, caught everyone off guard. Uh, including people who are in the know, people who are um, way inside baseball with public education in Oklahoma. Um, and so we wanted to, one of the issues that's come up that's been discussed, um, Richard, is about these different sort of issues with this vote. Um, can you talk to us about, um, there could be an issue with the the Open Meetings Act. Uh, yes, Carrie, I think that uh from what I understand the state board did is there was a motion made to uh, adopt a resolution to equalize school funding between uh, virtual and charter schools uh, and regular school districts. And uh, to do that by adopting resolution, and then which would ultimately settle the lawsuit that you mentioned that was filed, I think in 2017 Uh uh, against the state board of education. And, the resolution was never uh, read to the members of the board before they voted, and it has not was not publicly uh, referenced or was not made public uh, at the meeting. Uh, so I think there are potential problems with how they took the action they took, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure they can they can certainly make a motion to uh, settle a lawsuit and so forth, and they can make a motion to adopt a resolution, but uh, the resolution needs to be you know, publicly vetted. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the board members would need to know what the resolution was before it was voted upon Mm -hmm. and be part of the agenda and so forth. Uh, So there is a potential problem with uh, whether or not uh, the action was compliant with the Open Meeting Act. And then secondly, uh, the more pressing legal issues, I think, are uh, do they have the authority to do what they did? And while they clearly can settle a lawsuit, you know, with that's been pending against them, uh, I'm not sure they can do so by changing the funding structure between uh, charters and virtuals and public schools. Uh, because that would be more a legislative action or a rule action, and they can't circumvent 
either the legislature or the rule by purporting to settle a lawsuit and then change the way funding works for uh, virtuals and charter schools. That would be something that would have to be done through the rulemaking process or through the legislative process, and they can't, you know, circumvent it by a resolution that would then ultimately settle the lawsuit, supposedly. So, so this is what I was going to ask about. That is the way that schools are funded now, um, whether it's the funding formula, ad valorem, all the other sort of uh, different revenue streams out there. That is something that is decided by the legislature. Right. I mean, ad valorem is voted on by local districts, but like how this all works, is that a legislative function? Well, yes, it's it's kind of all it's kind of legislative. It's also by rule from the State Department, and it's also something that's in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So the ad valorem uh, taxes and how they are applied in school districts are primarily constitutional. Uh, so there are those are set forth in the Constitution as to how much they can be, what the limits are and where they go. And then the legislature has established funding formulas and funding mechanisms for uh, public schools, including charters and virtuals. And then the State Department can adopt rules that would then facilitate how that all happens. So you have kind of all three of those entities or, or elements that have been impacted potentially by what the State Board did. And obviously they can't change the Constitution. Right. Uh, and then uh, certainly argue that they cannot uh, enact new legislation or change a statute by a resolution by the board. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe they can change their rules without going through the formal administrative rulemaking process, uh, which is fairly involved, but ultimately does uh, result in the legislature being able to review and modify or reject uh, any proposed rule. And none of that's happened here uh, based on the information I read from you know, what they did uh, last night. So this could be why Superintendent Hoffmeister, uh, before the vote, said, quote, based on legal advice, this violates Oklahoma statute, Oklahoma Constitution, and the oath that I swore to uphold when I took this office. You know, let's let's listen to that clip. And I would like to say at this point, uh, that based on legal advice, this violates Oklahoma statute, Oklahoma constitution, and the oath that I swore to uphold when I took office. Uh, and I do not support this, nor do I think um, the board should vote to approve this settlement, which came in yesterday. Uh, yeah, I don't know what legal advice you got. It sounds uh, that it was uh, along the same lines of what... Uh, what I just discussed. I've talked to uh, some other lawyers that are practiced in this area uh, today after I found out about this, uh, that what happened last night, and we're all pretty much in agreement that those are the issues that, that are out there that seem to be kind of outstanding and, uh, you know, uh, seem to be uh, problematic from a legal perspective as to how they acted and, and what they're what they're doing. Uh, as I said, they can clearly resolve a lawsuit. They have the authority to do that. But if part of that resolution is going to require a different way of funding schools in Oklahoma, that should either go through the legislature or through a rule that they adopt, uh, as long as it didn't change the statute, and they've not done either. So it looks like they're kind of putting the cart before the horse or trying to do something globally through a, uh, a lawsuit that uh, is still pending and has been pending for some time. 
So uh, can you kind of give us a picture of what does rulemaking look like? Because it's not just, oh, I'm going to show up at a board meeting and say, this is how school works now. It's, it's, it takes a long time and a lot of vetting. Can you kind of give people a, a picture of what that looks like? Well, normally when legislation is passed, uh, particularly with state agencies, uh, in the actual statute itself, it may be very uh, a very broad statute that then authorizes the state agency to adopt rules to facilitate or enact the statute. In other instances, it could be uh, they have to adopt rules to be able to do what the statute requires. Mm -hmm. Adopt rule that says we're going to do A, B, and C. So the administrative rule-making pro process, you either have uh, emergency rules, which are for something that was unforeseen, uh -huh. it has to be done immediately, or your annual regular rule-making process. And under the statutes in Oklahoma, there are procedures that you follow to either adopt an emergency rule or a, a permanent rule, what they call uh -huh. a permanent rule. And that requires the agency to notify the public of the proposed rule and the impact of that rule on the various stakeholders, including uh, legislators uh, or school districts and teachers, mm -hmm. students, and so forth. Uh, and then there's a period of public comment where the public can comment about what those proposed, rule, proposed rules are and what impact they may have that may not have been considered by the, the agency. Uh, and then those uh, comments are to be considered by the agency and then they uh, formulate a final rule, which is then adopted. And then once adopted, then there's a process that the legislature looks at that they will review and can potentially modify or reject the final rule. So it's a fairly involved process, and it's part of the Administrative Procedures Act that you know gets various elements of our democracy kind of involved in what, what, what the final rule is going to be. And sometimes that can be pretty you know, pretty routine rules that uh, make a lot of sense and are necessary to effectuate what a statute says. Sure. And other times they uh, can be a little, uh, a little more, uh, I guess, uh, uh, you know, a little more controversial depending on what the rule is. So, sure. but, but every agency adopts rules, and uh, and the state Department of Education is a state agency and is required mm -hmm. to adopt rules, and they have a a very you know a robust rule book they have a lot yes. of rules to think about obviously so there are all of these sort of questions and these issues that are floating out there right now so what happens so i'm gonna so richard and alicia i ask you both starting starting with richard what what's next legally what happens now well it, it depends on on uh on who may or may not do something so i'm not really that familiar with the you know where the particular lawsuit in question, is, mm -hmm. where it is in the legal process. You know, most settlements, uh, particularly with state agencies, may require court approval. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, in, in other cases with, with private citizens, the parties settle, you file a motion with the court dismissing the action, and then the settlement goes ahead. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not sure what's going to happen in that regard. It may very mm -hmm. be simply that somebody dismisses that lawsuit. I understand there are also intervening school districts that may have a say in whether or not that should occur. But as far as challenging what has happened, uh, you would need uh, a plaintiff that would be able to, that has standing, that would be able to 
either uh, intervene in the current case or file a separate action against the State Board of Education, uh, making the allegations we've kind of talked about here, uh, whether or not they have the authority to do what they did, uh-huh. uh, and then whether or not, even if they do have the authority, did they do it correctly? Did they follow the procedures in the right. Open Meeting Act or the rulemaking and so forth? So that clearly could be an option, would be for uh, an entity or individual that has standing to make uh, to, to file litigation that would challenge that. You also could have some legislative response where they may take some action that would either, uh, you know, uh, either try and fix whatever that problem may be or somehow reject what the state board did. I'm not sure uh, how that might work legislatively at this point. but uh, And then you may have the possibility of the attorney general coming in and uh, making some determination as to whether or not what the agency did was uh, were lawful and, uh, and that they had the authority to do that. And uh, so that would be a possibility either yeah. upon request by uh, a person who has the authority to make a request or on his own volition. So um, Alicia, from an advocacy standpoint, um, what can members do? Because this is, I mean, this is upsetting to a lot of people. Um, where, what, what should folks be, how can folks help right now? Well, we think that we should all be contacting our local representatives and senators to let them know that, um, that we're strongly against the unconstitutional pillaging of public school dollars away from our community schools. Um, our schools need support now, not, uh, not for the state board of education to, um, you know, to ramrod something through and, um, and take away funding that's uh-huh. intended for public schools. For instance, you know, I vote on, uh, you know, any increases in ad valorem that would happen in my own community. Right. So that money should stay in my community, not yeah. go, you know, in, in some other place. Because that is essentially like you you live and vote and pay taxes in Yukon public schools. The you vote for what's happening in your community. That yeah. money could that money could end up at a virtual charter. It could end up at a charter not even in your county. I mean, yeah. And not to mention the fact that charter schools don't have to follow the same rules and accountability that our public schools have to. See, I think not everybody knows that. Like what, like, yeah, they don't have to um, hire certified teachers. They don't have to pay on the state minimum salary schedule. They don't have to bus their students. They don't have to offer transportation. Yeah. They don't have to, um, oh, what else? They don't have to, uh, what's another one, Carrie? I know, you know. I, those are the, I mean. I mean, those are huge, those are huge issues. Yeah. Well, um, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot that we follow. There's a lot that, I mean, this is going to, that will be taking shape. So um, Richard, I'm putting you on notice that we're going to have you back on the show um, to update us uh, in the coming weeks as this unfolds. So thank you for taking the time to um, explain all of this and walk us through it because it's kind of complicated, but it's important everybody understand what happened on Thursday. So thank you very much. You're welcome. 
Well, we are joined today by Ellen Pokemiller, uh, one of our legislative team members. Ellen, how are you? You know, it's Friday. Um, it's beautiful outside, so yes. I'm I'm hanging on to the week right now. There so, was a little pause there where I thought that that uh, answer was going to go a totally different direction. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so we, we took spring break off, and so we have quite a bit to catch up on. Um, so give us, give us a peek at what's going on. Where are we, where are we in session? Committee meetings, right? Right, committee meetings. Um, typically during spring break, spring break is really light. Um, that is when leadership in the Senate and House are assigning bills. So right now we are, you know, two months session bills have been heard on their house of origin so either senate or house and now they have to be um over to um be heard in the committee um of, of the opposite house got it so that week during spring break we were waiting for bills to be assigned to committees and then um this week we were kind of still waiting it was a it's been yeah. a way slower process um to get this signed to committee so what bills have done some moving around um so the only um one of the only bills that is actually passed that our members may or two bills that members may be interested in that passed this week um Senate bill or House Bill 2078, which is the funding formula bill passed mm -hmm. out of Senate finance and um, and then House Bill 1569, which is the play based learning initiative and um, passed out of Senate ed. Bad news and good news. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We can never just have <laughs> nice things all together. Um, another thing that uh, folks have been talking about has been the changes proposed for OLAP, for Oklahoma's Promise. Um, Alicia, give give everybody a picture of what OLAP does. And by talking about, you mean not talking about in a good way because this yeah. bill is horrible. Grumbling about, yes, yes. So answering your question though, oh, <laughs> what is OLAP? OLAP or Oklahoma's Promises uh, is, an, it is an opportunity that the legislature passed a long, quite a while ago uh, that, um, that if students make certain grades, their parents are in a certain income bracket, um, which is poverty related, right? Mm -hmm. Then they can attend a state school and their um, tuition is paid for. Yes. So it is a kind of a scholarship program uh, that helps our, our lower income students attain mm -hmm. college education. Yes, good, great for accessibility for our families. So. An amazing program to help. And, and think of, you know, even if you don't finish college, the difference between having a high school education and some college is, is a great income uh, influencer yes. later on. Making, making a more educated workforce. Yes. Um, so Ellen, what, uh, what on earth is happening with what changes are being proposed in so, the legislature? So um, Senate Bill 639 does look at expanding um, where kids can go under the OLAP program. So kind of okay. includes more career tech programs that weren't okay. included, mm -hmm. which is huge. Not everyone's right. going to go for religion having, you know, career opportunities outside of college, outside of high school is important. Yes. But the component that everyone is very concerned is that, 
it will now penalize students who um, take this opportunity to go to college and may not complete their degree in six years. And then the universities can go back and get the money that the kids were awarded through this scholarship and ask them to pay it back. My word. This is ridiculous. Um, I mean, mm. right. First of all, having been the first person in my family to go to, to, to attend college and graduate, I didn't have anybody to help me. Nobody was giving me additional funds to live and eat mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So imagine if nobody in your family can help you out and nobody's ever gone the route to college that you're on. Sure. Where, where are you supposed to have those people holding you up? I mean, yeah. so, so it's hard enough to get through college, but to be a, a first person in your family to go to college, uh -huh. to not have anybody there to help you, you know, maneuver through all that. And then to have this looming over your head that you might have yes. to pay everything back. What a disincentive. Exactly. That, that's a conversation yes. our legislature is having. That That is something that I also, for me, that I was wondering about how many kids will say, well, that's too scary of a risk. I'm not going to yeah. take that risk. You know, if I, what if I don't finish, especially kids who might not be as confident or don't have the support structure to, you know, aid them in completing that. And, and, and life happens for lots of people, you know, and um, where you go back and finish and finish school after you, you know, take time off. I mean, it, it, I, I was very surprised at this change. I love the expansion idea. I think that's right. great. Like, because mm -hmm. not everybody, yeah, a four-year institution might not be for everybody, but um, but to penalize people for being human, I think, is, is a fascinating track. Well, and I think when we talk about success, um, kids who, um, students who graduate, you know, go on to college, and in Oklahoma, about 40% graduate from college. OLAP has a 50% graduation rate. So oh it's gosh. a higher graduation rate than average. That you is know? significant. It's significant. And so, um, and we also know that to Alicia's point, this may be, it's college is overwhelming. And so, you know, going for a couple of years, taking some time to figure out what you want. My husband was a music major and then dropped his what? music scholarship because he didn't want to be a music major. Um, but he didn't have to pay back that scholarship because he changed his mind. You know, right. he had the ability right. to, you know, utilize other funds to continue on with his education. But we don't penalize kids because they change their mind at 18 and 19 year old. You know, <laughs> we we figure out a way to make it a successful path. Right. And it may not be traditional, but that doesn't mean it's any less successful. Not that many students know what they're going to be when they grow up, when they enter college. I mean... It, have you, you have know. you met have you met college kids? Not I mean, everybody I has did it together. I'm just that you know. I, I know, I, I know. But like, how many how many people do you know that changed their major in college? Oh, I don't. I know. You like know, three you who didn't. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, so that's that bill is still alive. Um, what other things are we looking at right now? So a few things that uh, are concern. Um, one is um, there's a tax bill that was passed out of um, the House floor right before spring break. Shenanigans. Um, House Bill <laughs> 2083 and House Bill 2041. 
so in 2018, lawmakers passed 531 million in new revenue to support education. These two bills combined would cut 540 million, effectively wiping out the progress from three years ago, plus oh an additional gosh. 9 million. They do this through um, having income tax um, kind of rebates where you know people, especially those who earn more than $100,000 would get you know, tax credit back. And then over five years, they would eliminate corporate income tax. So, um, you know, all the gains we've made, it eliminates at a time when we are really not sure how our funding is going to look in one, yeah. three years. You know, and, and the speaker, this is Speaker McCall's bill, yeah. and he's saying that they're going to hold education harmless. Well, when when you cut uh, more than half a billion dollars out of your income, where are you going to make that up? Pre-K-12 education, public education, takes a third of the state budget. So you've got to imagine that a third of that fund is what's going to be cut out of public education budget because there won't be the income coming in from the state. You know, when I have been reading about these bills and I, um, I just think about all of the effort that it took to pass, um, to pass legislation to increase, you know, the hotel motel tax, the ball and dice measure, all the stuff that went um, leading up to and after the walkout. And it takes a super majority and think about how many times that 75%, how many times <laughs> they went into special session and couldn't get it done. And that was, you know, like multiple attempts and then having that, having the walkout with 50,000 people and like all of this that it took to get that income for our state and it can just be wiped away. Like at what point, I mean, it, it just to me is such a, it's startling. I mean, it's just, it takes so much to, because of state question 640, where you have to have 75% of both chambers to pass any kind of tax increase. Um, and when are we going to have that again? It, years. Yeah. And the Senate has passed one that um, takes back the um, motor vehicle tax that they oh, passed that's right. during that yeah. same time. So that's another 148-ish million. So it's just, it, it seems that we don't learn from history in the state of Oklahoma. Yes. So. And by we, I mean, not we on this podcast. Because <laughs> we the three clearly of us individually. see what's going on. Oh, my word. Well, um, that there's a lot, there's a lot happening and I'm, yeah. and a lot is ahead. What's our next big deadline, Ellen? Um, so next big deadline is um, April 8th, that Thursday. So we have two more weeks. We are today, like I said, um, bills really haven't been assigned to committees as many as we had thought would happen this week. So, um, you know, the final bill we're really working on, and I know all of our members are anxious to hear where it is, is Senate Bill 634. This is the bill that um, requires our members to jump through hoops to become a voluntary sustaining member of our organization. And so um, that bill has landed in the House Rules Committee. Um, and their bill, they have not released their schedule for next week. So we don't know if that bill will be heard next week. Um, but we are working closely with that committee to talk about the impact that will have on our members and our
districts and why it's unnecessary. Yeah, it's a huge, a huge administrative burden um, when, you know, it's not like we're overstaffed <laughs> in, in our schools. Right. Well, uh, thank you, Ellen, for keeping an eye on everything. And thank you for your work over at the Capitol. And uh, we'll see what happens. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. Do, 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 do. All right, we've got a great contest going on right now. It's sponsored by OU Athletics, Landers Auto Group, and OEA. You can go to Oklahoma, just OK, not the full word Oklahoma, okclassroomheroes.com to submit an entry for your favorite pre-K through fifth grade teacher. The winners receive an awesome basket of goodies and $1,000. That is huge for uh, any educator uh or anybody or like, anybody should that's be that's pretty baller like yeah yeah it's funny because it is uh oh it is co-sponsored by OU Athletics but um ching <laughs> ding ding all right um and okay so also we have action for you to take yeah. from the board meeting that happened yesterday with the shenanigans that's all I'm going to say about that because you heard our lawyer. You can go to okea.org and there will be a link there on that homepage yep. where yep. you can click to take action. And we really want you to take action. Um, people need to hear from you. Uh, moral outrage is what I have going on right now. Yes. So uh, I will move on from that topic before <laughs> I say too much and go on to an opportunity 22 minutes for Senate District 22 is what we're asking for. So if you live in Senate District 22, which is the area that Bice, Senator Bice represented, mm -hmm. that seat is open. Yes. And on March 30th at six o'clock, Voice, one of our partner organizations, is, um, is having a, uh, a 22 minutes for Senate District 22, where both candidates have been invited to chat about public education and the future of Oklahoma. So we want yes. people to get on that, hear from the candidates because they have vastly different opinions about public schools. Yeah, they're gonna talk about public schools. And 22 minutes, that's less than like an episode on of whatever show on your streaming right? device. Like, it, that's like a Simpsons a, episode. It's a you 30 minute it. TV show minus the commercials. Yeah. Is, is what it is. And you've it's got that kind of you. time. If Netflix has ever asked you if you're still watching, you have 22 minutes to spare. Right. Or, I mean, Netflix has asked me that and I feel it's a little judgy, but. So you can, uh, we sent out emails to people that we have emails for that are in Senate District 22. I'm in Senate District 22. Oh, um, and I've researched that. the candidates. And one of them is very scary. That's all I'm going to say. You do the research, you come to this, and you find out who you think is scary. Like there's so many invisible comments left unsaid in this segment. Yes. It's for the best for us all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a, a legal team, and they are really good <laughs> at letting us know where the line is. So uh, go to Voice Oklahoma City, Voice OKC Facebook page, and mm -hmm. that's where you can find a link. Um, and we've also emailed the link out and shared yep. it, I think, on our Facebook page as well. Yep. Um, and finally, this is pretty exciting news, Carrie. 
the Library of Congress is changing the title from the Tulsa race riot to the Tulsa race massacre. That is amazing. That is awesome news. And man, that's a big deal. And these are the conversations that have started, I think, in our state and good people having conversations about our history, about how we talk about history, how we talk to our students about history. It's really exciting. That's a big Whose deal. Whose point of view the history is named after and told yeah. from. I mean, yeah. that that's an exact example of, you know, Tulsa race riot and, and the way we talked about it before, completely whitewashed history okay. from, from the dominant perspective. These and, are important conversations. Yeah, this is and why we, it matters. Yeah, yeah we, we were talking, you're reading Boomtown. Yeah, and, I'm reading Boomtown. Uh, it's so good. That's, and, and that's not that old of a book. And I, and yeah. I noticed when I was reading actually last night, um, I know that I'm like 10 years late to Boomtown. Everyone's read it but me. But like, as I was reading it, it caught my attention because it, it referred to, I'm on the chapter about Clara Luper, it referred to the Tulsa race riot. And it just sort of jumped out at me. And then I realized like, gosh, this is like a term that has been used up until very recently. And I appreciate yeah. that we're having those conversations and, and using appropriate terminology for what really happened in our So state. in the 30-ish years that I've been out of high school, We've gone from not teaching the Tulsa race massacre at all. Right, right. To talking about the Tulsa race riot mm -hmm. and uh, and having it from one perspective only uh -huh. to actually getting to the truth of what actually happened and calling it the Tulsa race massacre. And that being... Um, that being what the Library of Congress has said that it should be. And so um, we're moving in the right direction. We've got a lot of work still to do. Absolutely. Well, we wanna say thank you so much to our general counsel, Richard Wilkinson, and to our, one of our legislative team members, Ellen Pogamiller, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, we've got a lot to do to keep fighting the good fight for public education.